The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. Today, we continue looking at the song of the successful servant found in Isaiah chapter 49. We've been looking at these servant songs of Isaiah, and we've seen that these are pointing us to the suffering servant himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, we continue looking at the success of the mission that Jesus Christ came to perform, which is to save his people from their sins. Join us today for the conclusion of the song of the successful servant, and we learn that he finished the work that he was sent to do. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
power in the gospel message. God slew those, those nations by the words of his mouth. The message means something. It's not the power to cause dead men to live, but it's a powerful thing in the life of those who've been born again. And I can tell you, Jesus Christ himself said that the gates of hell shall not stand against his church. That doesn't mean that this church can't go away here at Zion. Doesn't mean that some individual church somewhere can't die. But it means that when he comes back, there will be a church somewhere that believes and teaches the truth of his word. Because there is a power, there is a power in the gospel. Notice it said he has hid me two times. He said he hath hid me in the quiver and he hath hid me in the shadow of his hand. This suffering servant would labor under the protection of God Almighty. Think about it. How many times did Jesus pass through the midst of a mob that wanted to slay him because his time had not yet come? Isn't that, isn't that something? How that his time hadn't come, so they couldn't get him. They were going to tie him up and throw him headlong off a cliff one time. Not, not just push him off and see if he made it. They were going to throw him down headlong so he would... He would break his neck or burst his head open to make sure he died and he passed through the midst of them because it wasn't his time. Now remember, we're not talking about that God, the Father, was always having to come down and save his son out of, out of a mess that he got himself into because God the Son was God too, you see. So together, the point is here though, and the point that he's giving to these, that he's making to these, this nation here is that this suffering servant will be protected by God. And he would ultimately succeed through the power of God. Look at verse 3. And said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. I will be glorified. God didn't say, I hope to be glorified. God didn't say, maybe if things work out and you get it just right, things will work out for me to be glorified. He said, in whom I will be glorified. I will be glorified, God says, in the work of this suffering servant. It's not a question. It's a statement. It's not a hope. It's a reality. And when God says things like this, when God says that it's to be done, it's as good as done. Now, verse 4 reminds us that from an outward view, the ministry of Christ and even our ministry today may look to be ineffective. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for naught and in vain. You know, sometimes I feel that way. Sometimes you feel that way. This is not, this is not a reference to Christ somehow losing faith. This is not a reference to him struggling to maintain his steadfastness. We're going to see in the next song uh, here of the servant, which is over in chapter 50, of the steadfastness of this servant. He set his face like a flint, and he did that. He set his face like a flint toward Jerusalem in his earthly ministry, even knowing he was going to be crucified. But you know the despair and the downcast looks of his disciples. They had to be, from the outside, it looked like it was in vain. It looked like it was in vain. But the outcome is with God. Yet surely my judgment is with the Lord and my work with my God. You see, ultimately, kingdom success is not outward in the flesh, but inward in the spirit. The outward signs. You know, think, look at John the Baptist's ministry. Look at John the Baptist's ministry. That was probably the shortest. At best, it was about 18 months. 
at best. And then what happened? As he became more successful in his preaching, the more truth he preached, the more disciples he lost. <laughs> as he preached the truth and his great ministry, his ministry progressed, it dwindled and dwindled and dwindled because they were following Christ. And you know, I, that's a good lesson for us preachers. I'm thankful for everyone here today. I'm so thankful. But if the Lord Jesus Christ were here in person, it would thrill my soul if, every, if, if, this, if this building were empty and y'all were all sitting on the banks of the river listening to him, you see. Because that's what I'm supposed to be pointing you to, is Christ. John the Baptist said, he must increase, but I must decrease. But think about from the outward view how miserable his ministry must have looked. And in fact, he got down about it. He sent word to Jesus and said, look, is, are you the one we're looking for or do we, or do we seek another? He, he became discouraged from an outward view it did. Look at Jesus' ministry, three and a half years at best. And then they killed him. <laughs> I mean, from an outward view, you know, those, those people that were walking by as he was hanging on the cross, they were wagging their heads. I mean, some hated him. Some were just hating on him. Some, some were just you know, thrilled to death and would have, would have driven the nails themselves, okay? But some weren't necessarily hating him. They just looked up at him and said, that poor, that poor fool. He claimed to be the son of God. And now look at where he's at. It got him on a cross. How, how terrible this situation is. What, what a tragic figure he is. Well, beloved, I want to affirm to you by the word of God that the Lord Jesus Christ was not a tragic figure of history. He's the most triumphant figure of history, but he wasn't a tragic figure of history. Everything that he did was pointing toward finishing the work that he was sent here to do. He would ultimately succeed in what he came to do. That's what he said in the 17th chapter of John. I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. Now let's look at the scope of his work. Look at verses 5 and 6. And now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him. Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel, I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Notice the first thing that he focuses on is a restoration of the Jews. Even in the midst of the captivity, Israel is still the people of God. And it says, that, you know, it may not look like much, but Christ's work is glorious. You remember back over in the book of Haggai, turn back and read, it's just two chapters. Turn back and read it sometime. We spent some time on it a year or two ago. And if you recall, Haggai was prophesying in the time they had come back from the captivity and they had gotten stalled in the work of building the temple of God. But in that second chapter, after they started back, there were some that saw the temple as much less glorious than the previous temple. There were some old men there that had been children, young men, when the captivity began, and they had survived the captivity. They had gone back, and when they saw the foundations that were laid of this new temple, they began to weep, and they said, oh, this is just nothing like Solomon's temple. I, this is just, this, I thought we were going to build a big, glorious temple. Look at what we got. It's just nothing to it. I mean, you know, and that's the problem of living in the past, by the way. I thought this was going to be some great revival, but, man, I remember the revivals when I was a kid. 
Well, that's great to remember those revivals and to be encouraged by the fact that God can do it again, but don't live in the past. Because they were living in the past. They said, this is just no, no glory. And, he's, and, he, and hey, God deals with that. He said, how see you the new one? Do you say it's less glorious? <laughs> you know what he tells them, though, as he begins to, he begins to lay the groundwork for Christ coming. He's also talking about, isn't it funny that the Old Testament's always pointing them to Christ? <laughs> said, the Messiah's coming. The time's coming when I'll shake all nations. You know, God shakes nations for his people. God shook nations to get the Jews out of Babylon and back to Jerusalem. And he did it not just for the Jews' sake. He did it for our sake because the Messiah, the Christ, had to be born in Bethlehem. He couldn't be born in Babylon. He'd been prophesied to be there. God shook that nation to get them back. And he said, and I'll tell you something else. The glory of this latter house will be greater than the glory of the former. You know why that is? It wasn't going to be more beautiful. It wasn't going to be more ornate. It wasn't going to have more square footage. It wasn't that. It wasn't because Herod came in and did some kind of renovations to it during his time. The reason that latter temple was so much more glorious than the former temple is because the very Son of God in human form came walking through the gates of that temple one day. He, he came in, he was brought into that temple as a babe and a, and a man named Simeon and a woman named Hannah glorified God because they saw the salvation of Israel and went back out and spoke of him. Not of the law, not of the temple, not of the temple worship, but of him to all those who wondered about the salvation that was coming. The restoration of the Jews. That's, it said, he said his purpose, he says, is to bring Jacob again to him. But notice it goes beyond that. It goes beyond that. He says, it's a light thing for me to do that. Verse 6. It's a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant just to raise up the tribes of Judah. There's more to it than Judah. You see, not only is the restoration of the Jews the work of the suffering ser servant, but the calling of the Gentiles, the calling of the Gentiles. There had been hints throughout the history of Israel that there was more to the kingdom of God than just the Jewish people. Remember Rahab, the little, little woman there, the harlot in Jericho, who became in the limit. She became a, uh, she was faithful and she let down that scarlet line in the window and saved those, saved those uh, uh, spies and, she became a mother in Israel and became one of the forebears of David and ultimately in the lineage of Christ. You remember Ruth, the little Moabitess woman that, that was a stranger. She, wasn't a gen, she was a Gentile. She wasn't a Jew. She was a stranger to the Jewish nation. And she came back and became the great-grandmother of David and in the lineage of Christ as well. I can name many, many more. There had been hints throughout history that there was more to God's kingdom than just the Jewish people. And God says here, it's just a light thing if all I'm doing is bringing Israel back. They, and, you know, think about it. They've always had access to the Word of God. They ought to know these things anyway. But there's some pagan children of God out there that have never heard anything but lies and deceit. Think about bringing the Gentiles who were his children. That's an, an amazing thing. The fact that we are sitting here today, some 2,000 years after Christ came, is an amazing thing. We're not Jews, we're Gentiles. We're part of the Gentile lineage. We didn't have access for those centuries, those millennia to the law and to the prophets 
But now, praise God, it's not a light thing to do it, but God, there's no, there's no too, thing too heavy for God. <laughs> it's like when we pray, some people say, well, I don't want to bother God with the little things. Well, there's no big thing to God. <laughs> there's nothing too big, you know. You need a resurrection? Okay, he can, give, he can give you one you need. Hey, I need a new moon, God. Okay, Pew, there he can just spit it out, you know. God's able to do things. Everything he does is something that he can easily uh, accomplish. And this verse, by the way, we won't turn there, but you go back over some. Well, we are too. Turn over to Acts chapter, Acts chapter 13. If you want to know for sure what this is talking about, Paul here preaching in his very first recorded message. He's preaching over there to the Jews. And in verse 46, it says, Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold. See, the Jews didn't really, they weren't really interested in that message. But it says, then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing ye put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. See, he's going back and quoting, referencing this very passage over in the book of Isaiah. And, and if those Jews had just read it, they would have understood if they just listened. And by the way, verse 48 is one of my favorite verses in the scripture. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad. And glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Brother Mackey, this is a case where every single born-again child of God in that congregation believed. That doesn't always happen. There's often born-again children of God, like the rich young ruler, that have baggage that they carry with them, and then they go away sorrowing. They don't end up believing the message, even though... They're able to do so because they've been born again. But these, in this case, every single one that had been ordained to eternal life believed. By the way, that doesn't say as many as believed were ordained to eternal life. That's the way the world would have you read it. The world would have you to read it that, well, if you believe, then you'll be ordained to eternal life. That's not what this says. This says they were ordained to eternal life before they believed, you see. That's so important to remember. Notice that the scope of his work is not just to the Jewish nation, but to the world. The world, every single one of his children out in the world. Now finally, as we bring this to a close, let's look at the success of the work. The success of the work. Look at verse 7. Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, and his Holy One. Now I, I want to stop here and just notice that here we have Christ identified. He is the Lord. And that word Lord there in your if it's like it is in your Bible as it is in mine, anytime you see the word Lord written in all capital letters, a big L and then the rest of them are capital as well, that's, that's the Hebrew word Yahweh or Jehovah, okay? That's Jehovah God. You see the Lord written with a capital L and small letters, that's usually the Hebrew word Adonai, which is a different name, and it was used in different ways, actually, to, sometimes to denote a person, but always to point us to God. But this is the special name of God by which Judah and Jerusalem knew him. 
This is the special name. So he's saying, thus saith the Lord. Jehovah is talking to you here. And notice he says, the Redeemer of Israel. Okay? This is that Redeemer that Job said, I know lives. I know my Redeemer lives. And he'll stand in the latter day upon the earth. He tells us here who he is. This is the Holy One. Notice his, his Holy One. So the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, is talking about His Holy One, the perfect, undefiled Messiah who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. We're talking about Christ here. But notice the, the next part of this verse. To Him whom man despiseth, to Him whom the nation abhorreth, to a servant of rulers. Him whom man despised. That word despise means a despising of the soul. That is one that is despised from the depths of your being, thoroughly despised or scorned. The same root word is used over in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 3 where we're told he is despised and rejected of men. And here he's the one that the nation abhors. That word abhor means to loathe or to detest. And I'll tell you, beloved, the nation of Israel loathed him so much when he came that they killed him. You see, from all outward appearances, when he came the first time, he was nothing more than a servant of rulers. He was just a despised, tragic figure who was nothing more than a servant of rulers. Didn't even have a place to lay his head. The animals, the foxes had a place to lay their heads, but not Christ, see. He was despised and rejected of men. But notice as we keep reading, Christ was despised, but he was indeed triumphant. Kings shall see and arise. Princes shall also worship because of the Lord that is faithful and the Holy One of Israel, and he shall choose thee. Isn't that glorious? It says, Notice his, he's ascending here. It, it, he's, he's despised and rejected of men, but now we see him ascending. Kings and princes shall worship him, okay? And notice now, beginning in verse 8, we see him saving. Thus saith the Lord, in an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee, and I will preserve thee and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth, to cause to inherit the desolate heritages, that thou mayest say to the prisoners, Go forth, and to them that are in darkness, show yourself. See, now we see him ascending and we see him saving. God shall preserve him and cause him to triumph, and the captives will be freed by him. Those in darkness will be enlightened by him. And notice that those who are freed, those captives who are freed, those of his children that are born again, you see, and who are enlightened by that new birth, it says now he will sustain them. They shall feed in the ways and their pasture shall be in all high places. I like that. All high places. You know, sometimes we think about the church as just another place to go on Sundays. Sometimes we think about the church as just, you know, another... Another thing to check off of our, our, our calendar. 
But you know, back in Isaiah chapter 2, in reference to the coming church, I want you to notice in verse 2, it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. You know, water flows downhill normally, but in the kingdom of God it flows uphill. The nations flow up unto it. And notice that the mountain of the Lord's house, this that we're in today, beloved, is the mountain of the Lord's house. And it's not just just sitting on the earth it's sitting in the top of the mountains it's the most exalted place on earth you will not go anywhere this week that's more exalted than where you are right now the mountain of the Lord's house is exalted above the hills. It's higher than any place in this earth. You may visit the White House. You may visit Buckingham Palace. You may visit all the halls of power, wherever they may be. But beloved, there's no place higher than where we are right now. Don't cast it aside as just another stop on your busy schedule because he says this is a place that is exalted and it's the place where the hungry will be fed in the high places, you see. You won't be fed out in the low places of this earth, but in the high places, he will feed us. There are pastures here. The hungry will be fed and they shall not hunger nor thirst. Neither shall the heat nor the sun smite them Praise God, I don't feel hunger today. I'm starving for the Word of God out in the world, but I feel filled up today. I feel nourished today. And notice the shepherding that He will do. He that hath mercy on them shall lead them. Even by the springs of water shall He guide them. He is going to lead and guide His children. We, we that come to these high pastures, He will lead us. If we will listen to him as we go out amongst the places of the world. And notice this. He'll also smooth the way for them. I will make all my mountains away and my highway shall be exalted. You remember back over in chapter 40 and verse 4. When John the Baptist referenced there to John the Baptist's ministry. And this is what he said. He said... The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. That's what the Lord does for us when we follow him. He's a shepherd to us, and he summons the scattered. Look at verse 12. Behold, these shall come from far, and lo, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Sinem. Now, there's a lot of talk we could get, get into about the land of Sinem. Just suffice it to say that that was a place that was far away. And he's going to gather all these to him. Now, sounds a lot like the church, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like what we've experienced here. He's gathered his people, some from far away, some from closer by. But it doesn't matter. We're all the same as we're brought together here in the kingdom of God. And what is our response? Verse 13, sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains, for the Lord hath comforted his people and will have mercy upon his afflicted. See, that's the proper response. That's how we should respond to this, all the teachings in the scripture of the Lord Jesus Christ. This song of the successful Savior should be the thing we sing about daily. Now, I realize that he goes on here to acknowledge our weakness. 
And I don't have time this morning to get into it, but I just want to read it and ask you, does it not sound a lot like your experience? Because I know it sounds like mine. With all this that I preach to you about the success of this glorious suffering Savior, we should never get down, should we? We should never stumble. We should always sing the praises because the Lord has comforted his people. But notice verse 14, but Zion said, the Lord hath forsaken me and my Lord hath forgotten me. I'm not saying that right now. I'm singing his praises right now because I'm in here in this church building with you and I feel the spirit moving and I'm rejoicing in the word of God. But tomorrow morning, as soon as something goes wrong, I'll be tempted to fall back into this. Oh, well, you know, I can't ever read this anymore without remembering how Brother David Crawford read it in the voice of Eeyore the donkey. If you remember when he was here a few years ago, he said, we're just like old Eeyore. But Zion said... The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. That sounds like us, doesn't it? <laughs> well, this is the point where I would say to my kids, are you crazy? Do you not see what I've just done for you? This is the point where I'd be pow, pow, pow. You know, I'd be wanting to slap them upside the head. But thank God he is not that way. Because notice what he does. He doesn't reproach them. He doesn't. Jump down their throats. He says, let me remind you one more time. And you know, that's why we come to church, isn't it? Isn't that why we go to the Word of God? To try to be reminded just one more time. So as we close this morning, I want to remind you one more time. Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget. We've seen that. They may forget. Yet will I not forget thee, I have graven thee, behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. The reminder about the foundation that the Savior was successful in the work he came to do. And he is the one we can rely on throughout our lives. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com that's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.